Now, our Bible reading tonight is taken from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. And we'll read from verse 1. We're reading again from the authorized version. And we thank you for turning to the place. It's good to hear the word of God. It's even better to hear and see it. The words will come up on the screen, but we'd encourage those at home to get their own Bible and to find the place and even use a pen to mark and underline those things that stand out to them. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord thy God have cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their cities and in their houses, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Thou shalt prepare thee away, and divide the coasts of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer, which shall flee thither, that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he, ha whom he hateth not in time past, as when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetches the stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood pursue the slayer, while his heart is hot, and overtake him, because the way is long, and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death, insomuch as he hated him not in time past. Wherefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee. And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast, as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, and give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers, if thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God, and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three cities more for thee, besides these three, that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. But if any man hate his neighbor, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Thine eyes shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 13. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is found in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 
and verse 10. It reads as follows, that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. And I want to attempt tonight to deal with the subject that I've entitled, The Wicked Sin of Shedding Innocent Blood. Now, this is the fourth sermon in a short series of messages that I've entitled, God's Word to Our Nation. The first three sermons have already been recorded. You'll find them on the church website or on the YouTube channel. And I would encourage you to go back and listen again to those messages. Encourage your family and friends to listen again, if you can. And may they find help and strength and direction in this evil day in which we live. Now, I've informed you from the very first message that I've borrowed an illustration from a Reformed Baptist pastor in the United States of America. Because he likened the sins of the nation to a great mountain range. You've got to think of the Rockies, think of the Himalayas, so think you've got the foothills, and then you've got the rising peaks, the, the spine of the mountain, and then you've got those very high ultimate peaks that rise up and stand out like needles in the sky. And this pastor likened these highest peaks to the most glaring and grossest sins of our day and generation. Sins that grievously affect and are our approach to our nation. Remember, Solomon said, Psalm, or Proverbs 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin reproach to any people. What sin? And we would have to think about the grossest and the vilest of sins. And one of those sins, I put it to you tonight, is the sin of murder, the sin of shedding innocent blood. Now, there's other sins, and we'll deal with them. We've already dealt with the sin of national apostasy. A few weeks' time, we'll deal with the sin of uh, moral decadence or sexual impurity. But tonight, we're dealing with the sin of shedding of innocent blood. And there are 23 references in the Bible to the, that speaks of the shedding of innocent blood. The first is our text, Deuteronomy 19 and 10. That's the first reference. So you've got to think about the law of first reference. You've got to think of the context. And then we can trace this theme all the way through the Bible until we come to the last text. And the last text is found in Matthew 27, verse 24, where Pilate tried to wash his hands of the blood of Christ and exclaimed with these words, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Now that's a text that we will preach on at some time in the near future. But in between, Deuteronomy 19 and 10, the first text, and the last text, Matthew 27, 24, you've got 21 additional references. We could think tonight, if we were to begin to look them up, of Proverbs 6 and verse 17, there's six things that God hates. There's seven things that are an abomination to him. And this is one of them. Proverbs 6 and 17. Hands that shed innocent blood. You see, I put it to you tonight that this is one of the grave and one of the most grievous sins of our day. 
And this sin needs to be recognized for what it is. This sin needs to be repudiated. In fact, this sin needs to be repented of. And individuals who are guilty reconciled to God through the blood of Christ's cross. So as we work our way through the subject tonight, God's word to our nation, what's God saying? He wants to put his finger on this wicked sin of shedding innocent blood. Now think of three things tonight. I want you to think of the crime of shedding innocent blood. The crime of shedding innocent blood can be by hand or it can be by heart. So let's think of it by hand. Let's think of the sin of murder. Exodus 20 verse 13, thou shalt not kill. And that's a reference to cold-blooded, premeditated murder. You see, we live in a day when life is cheap. We live in a day whenever you've got to think of someone picking up a knife or a gun or some other instrument or using some other means to deliberately murder an individual, family member or a friend or a stranger. There's a story told of a three-year-old who had a pet tortoise. And the pet tortoise didn't move. It wouldn't come out of its shell. And she poked and poked it, but it didn't come out of its shell. So she thought the tortoise has died, and she told her mummy. She feared that the tortoise had died. And, of course, she cried and cried. Think of a three-year-old, and this is her pet, and she feels her pet's died. The daddy, of course, comes home from work, and he tries to comfort her. And one of the things that he says to her to get her to stop crying is, we will have a funeral party. And he found it very hard to explain to her what the funeral party was. And he said, well, your friends will come, your family will be here, we'll dress up, we'll say nice things, we'll have tea and cake, and maybe even ice cream. And just at that moment, the mummy called from the kitchen. He called her Sophia. Sophia, come here. And whenever Sophia came in and looked at the shoebox, guess what was happening? The little tortoise was beginning to poke its head from out through the shell. So the wee tortoise was alive, and of course the wee girl smiled, and the, the wee girl began to laugh, and she thought, well, this is wonderful. And then in a split second, her countenance changed, and she frowned. And then she said, oh, Daddy, we're going to have to cancel the funeral party. Why fancy a funeral party? Let's just kill the tortoise anyway. You see, that's a fictitious story. But you see, on the journey of life, from the dawn of time right up to now, murder has taken place down through the ages. There have been all too often people willing to murder and kill to get what they want. And in its most drastic form, this includes this wicked, evil sin of premeditated, cold-blooded murder. And as I've said, from the dawn of time, many people have shown a willingness to murder and shed innocent blood. They've done it to promote a cause, protect their own interests, or out of petty jealousy, envy, and hatred. We could cite many particular cases. Let's go to the first case. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. If you want to turn to that passage, let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 4. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And he said, This is God, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. You should underline that point. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Now think of that. Here's a record of the first murder in the Bible. It takes place just outside of Eden. And it's inexcusable. Cain, remember, John tells us, 1 John chapter 3, was off the wicked one. And what did he do because he was off the wicked one? He slew his brother. And there was proof, if proof was needed, that his deeds were evil. And that shedding of Abel's blood, God hated it. And Cain, remember, was motivated out of jealousy towards Abel. He was envious of the fact that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept his. And Cain was irritated and, and, and hated the righteous life of Abel. And in light of that, because of that hatred, he took his brother's life. And you can see an element here. The motivation was the hatred of his human heart towards his brother, his righteous brother. And this was a violent, wanted, high-handed act of murder. And God, of course, speaks to Cain. He addresses him. What does Cain say? Am I his babysitter? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. That was a lie. You see, not only had he committed murder, but he was willing to lie to cover it up. And what did God say? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth to me from the ground. It's not very vivid imagery of speech. In the very place where the murdered body of Abel lay, every drop of his blood soaked up by the ground turned into a mouth and cried into the ears of the Lord, pierced the very ears of Jehovah for vengeance and retribution. You see, this graphic figure of speech is meant to impress upon us that this wanton, violent, high-handed act of murder is not only a sin in the eyes of God, but it's a serious crime. And here it is in the opening chapter of the Bible, in the very first family, among two brothers. The first murder, as I've said, was spurred by hatred and jealousy and envy. Cain had murder in his heart before he had murder in his hand. And he stirred himself up to commit this crime of murder. Can I tell you tonight this? That when the blood of an innocent victim is shed in murder, that innocent blood has a voice. And that blood that cries to God asks God to rise up and requite that blood and to deal with the murderer. Let me put it strongly tonight. The unrequited blood of the murdered cries to God for judgment and vengeance. Now you think of every murder from the first murder. This violent, wanton, high-handed act that's a serious sin before God. Cold-blooded, premeditated, planned murder. And the blood of everyone who was an innocent individual cries to God that their blood might be requited. 
That's the crime of the shedding of innocent blood. You think tonight of the murders in the land of Northern Ireland. From 1969 to 1998, there was over three and a half thousand murders in this land. Many of them folks have been unsolved murders. And the individuals who perpetrated those murders, some are known and some are unknown to this day. And the vast majority of those murders have never been solved and the individuals have never been brought before the courts of men. You think of the 30 innocent victims of IRA terrorism in Enniskillen. You think tonight of T-Ban, 14 construction workers blown up in their work van and eight of them murdered and, and the rest sustaining injuries that led to disability and deformity to their end of their days. Think of King's Mills. Ten innocent Protestants taken out and shot at the side of the road beside their work van. Think of Warren Point. I, I want to tell you tonight no Sinn Féin leader has stood forth, not the past or the current, and said these were wicked, evil murders. I want to tell you tonight, I'm not asking for sorry, because that's just how they feel. We're calling as a church, not only to Republicans, but to loyalists who murdered innocent Roman Catholics in the name of this country, we're asking them to repent. Do you know why? Because this book says, Proverbs 28 and 13, Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Why were these individuals murdered? Now we can sympathize with what took place in Ballymurphy. And we empathize with those individuals whose loved ones were killed by the British army. But let's put that in context. And I'm not trying to justify anything. Or taken away from what's been declared about them. But before that in Ballymurphy, seven British soldiers were murdered by the IRA. Did we hear that in the BBC? No, we didn't. And I want to tell you that in the context of these people being uh, killed, there was rioting going on in the streets. That There were shots being fired. There was petrol bombs being thrown. And of course... Like Hamas, it was part then of the IRA policy to use civilians as human shields to further the course of Irish unity. And that was equally wrong and has to be condemned. I want to say tonight that all murder, the shedding of every innocent blood from Abel to this day, is a wrong, wanton, high-handed, evil crime in the eyes of God. You think of knife crime in London. Think of those that have used a gun. You think of the murder of a dear pastor, Pastor Alok. I can't remember his surname over in India in a knife crime. Murdered for his belief and his faith. You see, 
That's evil and wrong. Could I add in, what about the promotion of abortion in the United Kingdom? Do you know that from 1967, there's been 9,446,068 abortions taking place? That's to April 2020. That's from 1967 Act right up to the present time. And as of, I think it was October 2020, 664 innocent little babies have been murdered from the Abortion Act and demand come into Northern Ireland. Innocent little babies in the womb up to birth. Do you know the United States of America from 1972, was it? Whenever uh, Roe versus Wade was pronounced through the Supreme Court to 2018, so that's a couple of years ago. Statistics tell us that there has been 50 million abortions carried out. We use the word innocent. Not, not because individuals or babies are without sin, but innocent because that individual hasn't committed a capital offense which warranted death, capital crime. Now, the biblical teaching on capital punishment is a very, very big subject, and I can't deal with that all at this time. But the principle stands. Look with me at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 9. And we'll come to verses 5 and 6, and this is in the days of Noah. It says this, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God made he man. Here's after the flood. In the new world we'll call it. The family of Noah are out of the ark. And God has made a covenant with Noah. And this predates Sinai. And it predates the giving of the law. For the law was already in the hearts of men. And what is God saying to Noah? If an animal kills a, a child or a young person or a man or woman, put the animal to death so it's a dog or a bull. And if a man sheds the blood of another man, then I will requite his blood at his hand. And whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because man is an image bearer of God. Man is so unique, so special, so dignified. It strikes at the very heart of who man is because man is made in the image of God. We believe tonight in the dignity of human life. See, we live in a day when life is cheap, when it can be easy taken. But God says no, because that man, regardless of his color or creed, is an image bearer of God. And taking his life is a serious sin. If we could emphasize tonight, that the shedding of innocent blood is murder. 
and it includes the taking of the lives of the innocent children. And I have to say tonight, all those involved in performing, receiving, engaging in abortion, makes them guilty, makes them culpable in shedding that innocent blood. Let me just draw this distinction tonight. In the Protestant church, we have allowed and always have stood for abortion in very, very extreme, rare cases. And if it involved the life of the mummy or the life of the child, we move to save the life of the mummy. Now, that's the teaching of this church. So there's a distinction between us and Roman Catholicism. They have a different view and a different opinion because of the baptism of babies. But I'm saying tonight that outside of that special case, those involved in the performing, receiving, engaging in abortion makes them guilty and culpable in the shedding of innocent blood. And God will require that blood at their hand. Now that's the crime of shedding of blood by hand. Let's think very quickly, and our time is moving on. You don't want to be here to the morning. Let's think of shedding innocent blood by heart. You see, we all have a sinful tendency to hurt one another. And it's possible to commit this sin in your heart. It's possible to commit this sin in a non-physical way. How? Unbridled, unwarranted anger. And that's what the Lord Jesus dealt with when he defined what murder is. It's unbridled, unwarranted anger in the heart. Matthew 5, 21, verse 22. Think of that unchecked anger in the heart. That's murder in the eyes of God. That's a violation of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And it can, that unbridled anger, that unchecked anger, can lead to, though not necessarily, but it can lead to physical murder. This is where it starts. It starts in the heart. Over there in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 6, there's an incident told about the children of Judah, one of them in particular. And this is what we read in Genesis 49, verse 6. It says, This is Simeon and Levi, our brethren, instruments of cruelty. Are they in their habitations? Verse 5, verse 6, O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. That was a secret sin. But old Jacob on his deathbed exposed it in relation to Simeon and Levi. See, mistreating others in anger and hatred, Thomas Watson said, hatred is the vermin which lives in blood. Isn't that interesting? And you see, hatred can produce murder. If I was to turn to the book of Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel Chapter 35 and verse 5, we read these words, Ezekiel 35 and 5, Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred, and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword, in the time of their calamity, and in the time that their iniquity had an end. And of course, wasn't this the chief sin of Manasseh? 2 Kings 21, verse 16. The king of Judah, King Manasseh, he filled Jerusalem with blood and anger and hatred was at the back of it. You see, envy and jealousy can cause bitterness. It was envy and jealousy that caused the brothers to plot the death of Joseph. 
Genesis 37 and verse 20. It was envy and jealousy that caused Cain to murder his brother. We've already seen that. Anger and hatred and jealousy and envy is linked to murder. And it could be in our thoughts. We could harbor bitterness and malice in our heart and mind. We could murder by speech. We could murder by pen. Think of the murder of Uriah the Hittite by David. Didn't use a pistol. He used his pen. He sent a letter. Put this man in the forefront of the battle that he might die. He was the husband of another man's wife that David had taken to be his wife. You see, this was a most serious sin, a heinous crime. It's an affront to God who created us in his image. It's a devilish sin. The devil's at the back of it because he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, that's just the first point. The second point is this. Think of the cry of the shedding of innocent blood. Turn with me tonight to the book of Numbers. And look with me at Numbers chapter 35 and in the verse 33. It says there, So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Now remember, I've already told you in Genesis 4 and 10 that the shed blood of the innocent Abel cries to God from the ground. Why? Because the ground is stained by blood. And God, of course, in his mercy, when the children of Israel entered into the land of Israel, provided them six cities of refuge. And the individual who wasn't guilty of murder but guilty of manslaying was to flee to one of these cities. He was guilty of accidental death. That's what we have read about there in Deuteronomy 19. You read the same thing in Numbers 35 verses 9 to 15. So we've got to think of two men out chopping down trees. They're getting some firewood and the axe head accidentally flies off and kills a work colleague. What is that man to do? Well, in the days of the land of Israel, when they were in the land, that man was to run to one of the six cities of refuge. The individual would be under the protection of the high priest there. Now suppose that man turned out that he wasn't a manslayer, but he had anger in his heart, and he had deliberately killed and murdered his co-worker in secret, but said it was an accident, and fled to one of these cities. Then the elders in that city was to hand him up and hand him over, and not to have pity, and that man was to be put to death. Now they were to have evidence. There had to be two or three witnesses, and he had to be handed over to the avenger of blood. In Deuteronomy 21, if you found a dead body in the field, suppose you were out plowing, and you found a dead body, then that had to be reported to the elders. And there was a procedure, a a, a legal procedure, uh, in how to deal with that. Numbers 35, 20, 33, that have made reference to the polluting of the land. You see, the blood of the innocent polluted the land. And God said, no expiation can be made for blood, but the blood of the guilty one himself, or a suitable substitute. You see, what I'm saying tonight is this, unrequited blood pollutes the land. It cries out to God for vengeance. 
And it's not been heartless and cruel to deal with the murderer who has stained the land by the shedding of innocent blood. If we go back to Deuteronomy 21 for a moment, look at verses 1 through to 9, a strange bit of legislation, a man's plowing the field, he finds a dead body, they didn't know who done it, they didn't know uh, who carried out this brutal murder, or when it took place, there's no witnesses. What do you do? Well, just forget about it. No. That didn't requite the blood. There was a, a special ritual. There, there was a solemn ceremony took place. The elders from the nearest city were to come. It was their responsibility to bring a heifer. They were to take the heifer to a rough valley. They were to behead that heifer. And they were to wash their hands over the heifer. Now listen to what they said. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. These are very important references. This is what it says. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Do you see that? Here's the summary. Deuteronomy 21 and 9. So you'll put away the guilt of innocent blood because the, the blood of the murdered cries to God for vengeance. And in a very symbolic way, that washing was to take away the guilt of that innocent blood. It, it was to, to wash it off and put the guilt of the innocent blood away. Power to requite blood is no longer in the hands of the avenger of the blood. It's not in the power of a family. It's now in the power of the state. The powers that be are ordained of God. And the civil powers are meant to be a terror to the evildoer. It's not exactly what Matthew or Romans chapter 13, uh, if you look with me at verse 4, uh, says. Uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Again, this is a big subject and I cannot open it up tonight. But listen to these words. Romans 13 and verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do what's that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. It's just no longer in the hands of the individual. It is now in the hands of the state to requite and has the power to requite blood for blood. The Bible teaches us that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And the state has a duty to recognize the stain of innocent blood in the land. A duty to recognize that this is a horrible thing. And that blood is crying to God for vengeance and retribution. The last thing I want to share with you tonight is this. The condemnation of shedding innocent blood. You think tonight of this. The murder of many loved ones. You think of the murder of millions of babies in a cold, calculated way in mother's womb. And there has been oceans of blood from the verse blood of Abel that was stained the land and cries to God for vengeance. And there is such a thing as God's condemnation upon it. If I was to say tonight, suppose there's a children's hospital where there was babies. They were in life support. 
Suppose they're getting oxygen. Suppose they've got intravenous drips. Suppose some individual who's went berserk comes in with a gun and shoots all round them into that uh, prenatal ward and uh, murders those babies. There would be a complete outcry. It would be in BBC and Sky and rightly so and many other channels throughout the world for days. But you take some of the surgeons in the United Kingdom, some of the surgeons tonight in the United States of America, and through a suction tube with a consenting mother, they're terminating a precious life. And Almighty God calls it murder. He said it's the shedding of innocent blood. And you think of the, 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 the uh, millions that have been heartlessly and brutally murdered. We have laws to protect animal cruelty, rightly so. We have laws to protect birds' nests and birds' eggs, and rightly so. We have laws to protect the environment. Do you know tonight that our brother James Lowe, who's a farmer, other farmers in this locality, can only cut hedges down at a certain time. If they cut them down at the wrong time, if they put slurry out at the wrong time, they'll be prosecuted through courts. But where's the law to protect the innocent babies in the womb? Where's the law to requite blood for blood in our land? You see, these words are rebuked to our nation. For our final reference, and I realize, give me just a few minutes. Turn over there to Proverbs, sorry, Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Listen to these words. It says in verse 8, And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thy Lord has not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings when he maketh inquisition for blood. He remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. I want you to think tonight of the inquisitor for blood. Who is he? He's the Lord himself. And every murder... Whether of an innocent victim from Abel to this day, throughout the whole of the world, and every baby that's been murdered by abortion in a way that we have described, when that blood is spilled, the Lord God himself has the power to track down the guilty. And the Lord God will require the blood at their hand. Do you know that even the souls of the martyr dead cried to the Lord with a loud voice and asked how long, how long will they have to wait till the Lord comes as an inquisitor of blood and, and has a word of condemnation for those that are guilty? Revelation 6 and 9. Let me ask this question to you as we finish. Can a murderer find forgiveness? The answer, even though they're guilty of shedding blood, is yes. And I'm going to tell you how. Recognize his sin. Repent of his sin. That's sorry enough to quit. And that involves a heart and honest confession. That will involve going to the, the police station or the legal authorities and say, I did this and I did that. 
and I've committed a crime and I'm worthy of death. And that man then will have to make restoration for his sin. Now we no longer execute the murderer. The man may have to spend time in jail. He may have a life sentence. But regardless of what transpires, he must confess his sin. He must hold up his hands and say, I'm guilty of this crime and that crime. And you see, that's the problem today with those that just say in Northern Ireland, we're sorry. Because sorry isn't enough. Sorry's not good enough because sorry is not like repentance. It's only saying how you feel. And to recognize your sin properly and, and, and to be truly sorry for it, then you'll repent of it. And you'll repent of it in such a way you'll put your hands up and you'll confess, I did this, I'm guilty of this crime and I will accept whatever the state imposes upon me. You see, when we take this word seriously, when he maketh intercession for blood, he remembereth them. Every one of them. Every baby. Every martyr. Every boy, girl, young person, man or woman. He knows them all, every one, by name. And you see, this is not just the land of Israel. This is every land. And the blood of the innocent cries out for vengeance. And what can we do tonight as we finish? We could pray to the Lord to pour out his Holy Spirit. That the Lord would come and purge our land from the stain of blood. We could pray that the Lord would open the eyes of those who are even guilty of this murder. And the Lord would open the eyes of people to show us this biblical doctrine of innocent blood being shed. And we could pray that the Lord will send us a season of holy shame and holy dread and holy blushing to meet this inquisitioner of blood. That's why we must preach the word. This is God's word to our nation. That's why we must protest over sin and evil. This is true tonight for all the innocent victims. Regardless of age. Regardless of their sex, their color. Or who they are, where they're from. This word of condemnation. When he maketh inquisition for blood. I want to say tonight, as I finish, I said this in the little thumbnail, you know, when we point the finger at someone else and saying, oh, you're a sinner. You're hell-deserving. God's going to put you in hell because the Bible says the wicked shall be put into hell and all nations that forget God. Let's remember this. There's three pointing back. And while it's right that we have anger over the shedding of innocent blood, righteous anger, let's remember our own sin. And let's remember to recognize it and to heed the call, repent ye and be converted. For Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. And you think of the people of Northern Ireland, sat in church, sat under the gospel, heard the word of God preached, refused and rejected Christ, and went out and lived without him. And the very same hell for the devil and his fallen angels, and every murderer will be there, unrepented of their sin, who've never turned to Christ. And individuals from this province, individuals from within the free church, end up there. What a terrible calamity, what a terrible day, because they didn't recognize their sin.
and repent of it and be converted to Christ. There's the condemnation of the inquisitioner of blood. I leave these few thoughts with you. I've only scratched the surface. And I know you have maybe many questions. Feel free to come and talk to me. I'm available. I'm very uh, open to to talk over things. And I listen to you. And if you have a different point of view, then I'm willing to hear it. The Lord bless you tonight. And thank you for coming. Now our time is gone. We're not going to sing the closing hymn. Sorry to those who requested that hymn. We'll keep it for the next time. Let's just have a wee word of prayer. Lord, take these few stumbling, stammering words tonight. They are as late, and folks have been very patient. And we pray that you might use your word and apply it to our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we've said some very harsh things tonight. But Lord, these things need to be said. And we just pray that you'll speak on even when the voice of the preacher is silent. And any not yet converted and repented of their sin, we pray that they'll be converted through faith and repentance in our Lord Jesus Christ. Part us now with your fear and in your favor. Take us each to our homes in safety. And we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of thyself, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be upon us, both now and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.